Hello, this is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 487th show of ROI. Our guest for today's show is Angela Denker, Lutheran pastor and veteran journalist who is going to talk to us about her book, Red State Christians, A Journey into White Christian Nationalism and the Wreckage It Leaves Behind, which was published by Broadleaf Books. Joining us for the second segment of our show will be our history buffs, Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. To begin with, we would like to welcome Angela to the show. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, and thank you for taking the time to join us. We call this first segment of our show Farouk Danarin, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So, Angela, can you start us off with some of the basic information um, and the changes in your book, but the topic of the rise of white Christian nationalism in the United States? Sure. Yeah. So this has been a long time coming. Uh, The original version of Red State Christians was published in uh, 2019. And so it was really one of the first book length works on what's happening in Christian nationalism and tying Christian nationalism to uh, the movement of Trumpism and the 2016 election. Uh, So the, the book was based on my travels across the United States in 2018. I got to spend almost that entire year traveling to red states and counts, uh, talking to, you know, people that I know in my life and also to Christian leaders, uh, prominent national figures, but also to, to ordinary people and covering, you know, the book has chapters on abortion, it has chapters on immigration, as well as chapters on women. Uh, so really trying to cover all of the salient electoral issues, but from the perspective that I bring, you know, as a trained theologian, as a pastor, and also as a journalist, my first career was as a hockey writer, and I was a sports writer for a number of years uh, for daily newspapers. Uh, but this new version that we're discussing today uh, came out just a couple of months ago in August of 2022, and one thing that you can note uh, is the subtitle change. You know, when the book first came out, it was called Understanding the Voters Who Elected Donald Trump. And you can tell just how our climate has changed in these last three years, in these last three really full years. Um, So when the book first came out, there was more of a sense of, you know, we want to understand, we want to build bridges, we want to build conversation, we want to build civility. And I had some hope, you know, that, that the research that I did, that the conversations that the book would start would bring about further conversation and, you know, some of the thawing of that polarization. But as we've seen since 2019, uh, we've gone through COVID, we've gone through uh, the murder of George Floyd, which took place just a few miles away from my home here in Minneapolis, uh, and also the insurrection on January 6th. And each of those events, as I'm sure you've talked about on your show, has been shaped by the ideas of Christian nationalism and the movement of Trumpism. Uh, so the new book really looks at those those three things over the last three years uh, and how how it's impacted me personally. It's impacted my family, my church. I serve a rural congregation here in the rural Midwest, uh, and also on a broader national level, how this movement continues to shape uh, American politics and American life. Okay, so let's take it from um, the points that you brought out. Of course, you have the. Uh, sure. um, 
you have the issues of, we'll start with uh, the election in 2016 where Donald Trump got elected by much surprise. And in the very beginning, he had no affiliation really with uh, white nationalist Christians at all. Matter of fact, from most of the counts, he was pretty much... um, an agnostic at best, but after uh, mm-hmm. the prime, the caucuses and the primaries, he became very tied with them. Uh, what was the basis of that, if I may ask? Yeah, and I should say that uh, I watched the 2016 election kind of from from the inside, in a sense of you know the the halls of conservative Christianity and evangelical Christianity. At the time, I was working at a large. Uh, Lutheran in name, more evangelical, sort of uh, non-denominational, megachurch-styled church in Orange County, California. And we were actually located just a block away from the Richard Nixon Presidential Museum. So a very politically conservative area and also an area of the country really shaped by uh, conservative Christianity. Lots of kids go to Christian schools. Um, you know, There's a lot of, we're just down the road from Rick Warren's church, Saddleback. And so I really watched that transition where you saw, um, I remember even going to Christian conferences, like the Catalyst Conference, which is put on by Andy Stanley's church, North Point. Uh, you would watch, there was a lot of hesitancy among conservative Christian leadership about embracing Donald Trump. Uh, many of them were behind Ted Cruz, some behind Ben Carson. And then you started to see as Trump holding these rallies and really how Trump appealed to the people in the pews more quickly than he did to the leadership. Um, some folks, you know, Robert Jeffress in Dallas was one of the first pastors and leaders to really embrace Trump. Uh, but I think more likely for a lot of people, it was it was this grassroots kind of support that rallied around Trump, where people were embracing Trump in spite of his divorces, in spite of his language, in spite of so many of the things of the morality issues that conservative Christians had rallied behind in the past, uh, his you know previous comments about his support of abortion, for example, uh, you really saw that start to change. And you know, then conservative leadership thought, hey, he can win. Um, you know, they they have waited, wanted power so long, uh, they've wanted control of the Supreme Court for so long. And so I think they they really made made a bargain that has turned out a little bit to be a doubles bargain. Okay, um, one question before we go to our break, because I, I can remember because I'm sure. 56 years old, uh, the evangelical Christian right. First, I remember reached out to all people. It was President Jimmy Carter because he was an ev- a Southern mm-hmm. evangelicist. Mm-hmm. And when they tried to sit there and say that you need to go into these directions, he uh, recited uh, scripture that totally contradicted what they were saying, and they got sick of him. So, I mean, uh, and to me, this is always a point of what you were saying, how how many decades they were waiting to get into the position yes. they were with Trump. What were there different angles? Because you're not going to go to strip scripture. You're not going to quote scripture with Donald Trump. How did they go about it? Well, I think it really was that that appeal to power. And also there was there was a sense of nihilism in in Trump's appeal, particularly in 2016, uh, where he would say, you know, everybody's a crook. Everybody's cheating you. Everybody, you know, he would point to his donations to both Democrats and Republicans 
And he appealed to this sense of uh, disenchantment, this sense of disillusionment that was really felt across America, I think, particularly in the the ending years of Obama's presidency. There was a hopefulness that Obama would usher in somehow a post-racial America. That didn't happen. Uh, And Trump really appealed to that sense of, you know, you can't trust anybody, so I'll be your crook, basically. (laughs) Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI and KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. If you are wondering how to find out where locals love to go, there's a website called localsloveus.com. Or you can pick up a Locals Love Us guide around town as well. Localsloveus.com. Hello, and this welcome back to ROI. Uh, relevant or relevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then history... Historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our noted guest for today's show is Angela Denker, Lutheran pastor and veteran journalist, and we're talking about her book, Red State Christians, A Journey into White Christian Nationalism and the Wreckage It Leaves Behind. This book is published by Broadleaf Books. Our history buffs for today's show are Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. Um, Brett, as the husband of a Lutheran pastor, um, why don't you start off with our first question? Gladly. So, Angela, can you talk to us a little bit about um, how Trump's election affected congregations and pastors? Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, we're certainly still seeing reverberations of that today. And also we've seen a great uh, resignation among clergy members. I think, you know, for clergy seeing, there was just recently a New York Times podcast uh, on that topic, I believe. But I know for me, I'll speak for me and for my congregations that I've served uh, since 2016, at first, as I said, I was in this uh, affluent sort of evangelical megachurch-ish Lutheran congregation in Orange County, California, and it was really probably considered like a purple congregation, probably a little bit more uh, Republican than Democratic, but people didn't talk politics a lot. One thing I really noticed after the election, and you know, it's been six years now, um, I noticed we would have fellowship time after church, and people would sit outside. It's Orange County. They'd have donuts. I really noticed um, people weren't sitting together anymore. Certain people would uh, not sit with other people anymore after church. We had uh, my fellow pastor and I, we were having people come to us, and there was a lot of family strife, you know, parents and children who could not cope with one another's votes. There was a sense in which communication had been cut off. And I think, um, you know, there's there's two different ways to look at this. On one level, I think that Trump has brought out into the open tensions, especially in mainline congregations or purple congregations that had existed for a long time. And pastors, in a lot of cases, maybe did a poor job of sort of trying to cover over things instead of really addressing what was going on. Uh, so I think some of these issues needed to come out. But at the same time, um, the level of hateful rhetoric, the level of you know, conspiracy theory, confusion, and 
add on to that COVID, global pandemic, George Bush insurrection, all those things have continued to make it really tough in some cases for pastors to do their jobs. Terry. Yes, Angela, um, I want to piggyback on that. When you talk about the events that came after the publication of the first edition, and how did that shape then the 2022 editions, preface and conclusion? What um, changes did you, or interpretations did you have? Yeah, you know, in some ways I felt that um, my my naivety was lost. <laughs> I was a bit less hopeful than I was uh, when the first book was was published. Again, I was I was hopeful that the surfacing of of these issues would lead to conversation, dialogue, um, and you know this this sense that that I have as a Christian and as a pastor that that after death comes resurrection. And my hopefulness was that that would be sooner in coming. Um, but what I have what I found in the last three years is that we are still very much in this place of of death, of uncovering things about one another and about our country that are really painful, I think particularly for for white Christians um, who had who had hoped that this scourge of racism was not as powerful as it continues to be. Um, and I think also, you know, what really shapes the preface and the conclusion uh, is my personal experiences. You know, I, I live in the city of Minneapolis, as I said, uh, so I was very close for the murder of George Floyd and what happened afterwards. But then I also drive about an hour west to serve a rural congregation here in Minnesota. So I, I live and I work in two very different political worlds um, and really got to see, you know, have a foot in both worlds and experience that. And then I also experienced um, the power of Christian nationalism, even within my own family, and you know, walking through the really tragic and traumatizing death of my brother-in-law to COVID, and how you know the conspiracy theories about COVID, about how this sense of triumphalism against disease um, shaped the way that even my own family was able to cope with the loss of a family member to COVID. Okay, um, from a different perspective. Uh, I have a sure. brother-in-law who is a retired ELCA Lutheran minister, and he was in charge of a um, a church uh, south of Mason City, Iowa, and he was actually there for quite a long time, 15 years. And right when 2016 started coming along, he noticed that there was a huge divide that was forming in his congregation. Mm-hmm. And it was over mm-hmm. the issue of uh, gay, lesbian, transgender individuals and their rights. And you had a block of the very, um, you would say, established farm families come out and do this motion uh, that they should mm-hmm. be banished from the church. And he had to spend the last three years of his mm-hmm. ministry trying to organize the church that uh, the other congregations say, for one, everyone's always welcomed, and we're not going to go out and be headhunters off of people's um, dignity and the right to live. And after he retired, it was literally nine weeks later, and it switched from an ELCA to a much more conservative Lutheran domination. I don't know which synod it was. Mm-hmm. Have you seen similar aspects like this 
throughout, let's say, Midwestern churches throughout the Midwest uh, since 2016 on? I absolutely have, and I think that uh, I think that this has been borne out in statistical analysis as well. Uh, but one thing that I certainly saw in my research was that people's opinions uh, are being shaped much more strongly, not only by whatever political party they affiliate with, uh, but also by by national figures, whether it's national Christian figures that people are following on social media or watching on TV or hearing in the news. Um, much more so than they are by local congregations. And so local congregations and local pastors found themselves com- competing with this deluge of information, this deluge of rhetoric, and, you know, a once-weekly sermon, especially in this time of COVID where congregations were not uh, meeting in person. <laughs> there was really, it was really a difficult thing to carry, but also I think it's, it's, it's a confession that needs to be made on the part of many parish pastors and denominations who found themselves, and this is also conservative denominations as well, I've heard this from SEC pastors, that they really felt that um, that part of it was their responsibility, that they had, they had not strongly enough taught the gospel, and they had enabled people to get their opinions on social issues much more from nationalist rhetoric than really from the Bible. Okay. Brett? So one thing that I've noticed uh, in my dealings with the church um, as of late is whenever a pastor leaves a rural congregation, um, it's really hard to find new pastors willing to step in uh, and take those rural calls. Is there a tension between the type of people coming out of seminaries and the um, types of pastors that these congregations would ideally um, select in yes. their mind? Yes, I think that, that I think that's a that's a major issue. I also think it speaks to you know there's been a real disconnect. Um, in a lot of denominations from sort of a centralized, you know, as denominations began to operate more like institutions, there's there's a disconnect between, especially in, quote-unquote, more liberal denominations, uh, the central leadership often feels the need to make public statements and often, you know, have a very progressive tone, where the truth is that many of their congregants most of our congregations in the LCA certainly are in rural areas and people who are coming from a much more conservative political viewpoint. And so there's gotten to be this real disconnect uh, between, between parishes and leadership of denominations. And I think sometimes pastors are getting squeezed a little bit in the middle. Um, I, I do want to mention um, Luther Seminary here in Minnesota, where I went, they have developed a new focus on rural ministry. Uh, my former bishop in southwestern Minnesota, John Anderson, he has a real passion for rural, mi- rural ministry. Uh, they've had me come and talk to some classes a couple of times. And, you know, I think the missing ingredient sometimes is love. You know, I, lo- I love rural ministry. I love, you know, my farm families. I love getting to see, you know, what they're doing with, with their animals, with their crops. I've gone out in the combine, you know, getting to see who people are bringing to the fair. 
and also, you know, real understanding of real life. And so I think that there needs to be a little bit more of an injection of love when it comes to working together as a church. Terry. Yeah, Angela, sometimes I think we need to go back and actually read George Washington's farewell address to the country because Mm -hmm. he mentions Mm -hmm. that there Americans need to remember that there's more that unites us than divides us and that we need to be careful of those who who would divide us. What can pastors do to remind their congregations of this? I really think that it is it is that key component of love and it's really also about trust. Um and here, you know, I'm speaking as a pastor and also as a journalist, uh there's been such a crisis in trust in our country, and for a lot of good reasons. Uh, Some of it is the, you know, loss of local news, the loss of support of local news. So I'm so glad you guys, (laughs) the work that your radio program is doing locally, uh, as well as nationally. But, um, you know, there's been this crisis of trust. And so I think it's really important for pastors to do those things that, that build up trust. You know, whether it's praying with people at the bedside, whether it's funerals, whether it's baptisms, you know, pastoral care, is really so much more important than preaching in a lot of cases. Uh, And building up that trust, uh, prioritizing relationships, I think that does build space when then you sort of have to withdraw from that trust account uh, in order to talk about some of these more divisive topics and have people with ears that are open to hear. Okay, um, so I'm going to take it from a different perspective. we have noticed that uh, not just congregations, but counties, especially in in Iowa, and I'm sure the same as Minnesota, west of I-35, north of I, um, north of Des Moines, uh, a little bit south and southwest of Des Moines, the number, the population in those counties are shrinking, and when you have communities shrink like that, they become even more uh, locked and stepped with their identity their needs, their cultural backgrounds, all the above. Do you feel that this is something that is kind of like also pouring kerosene on the issues of white Christians, Christianity in, in red areas? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that, that loss of population leads to a lot of other problems. There's a loss of access to health care, loss of access, particularly, you know, and I hear this from my congregation, to mental, <coughs> mental health care, uh, addiction treatment in rural areas. All of these things have really been depleted. Um, and so you see a rise in suicides, you see a rise in accidents, and there's not the resources there necessarily to to provide treatment to provide spaces and then you add in sort of that particularly midwestern um, stoicism where there's sort of an inability to talk about pain an inability to admit need for help Uh, it's much easier to direct it outward and so i think that that all of those things are certainly hampering um, our rural communities and you know, there is a great need for further understanding on the part of politicians when it comes to those issues. Is it also increasing a level of anger in the local communities? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's um, that's been fostered by a sense of isolation. But also, you know, when people feel isolated, what the Internet has done in a good way and also in a way that has 
increased anger is it's connected angry people to one another. And so where maybe somebody would be angry, but then they go talk to their neighbor, they go talk to their pastor, they go talk to, you know, somebody at the local restaurant. Um, instead, they're talking to, you know, the Oath Keepers online, and they're finding an outlet for this anger and availability of, of weapons as well, you know, feeds into the violence that that engenders. Okay, Brett, you get the last question. So since there are far more... Um, congregational members than there are pastors what's the role of individual members uh in rural congregations in trying to um support their pastors and um pursue the work of the church Hmm. well i just preached this last sunday on um kind of a difficult parable from jesus where jesus talks about how um we shouldn't praise people for doing just what needs to be done. Um, and what that what that spoke to me about is this sense of duty. And I've seen in my own rural congregation just this really strong sense of honor and duty when it comes to a congregation. And I think um, that sense that this, this is our church, you know, that this is, this is church is our responsibility. It's something that we should be proud of. I think there needs to be more pride in in some cases in these small congregations that have endured over years and years and years. You know, there's a lot of fanfare when a large suburban megachurch opens and there's all this flash and grandeur. Um, And I've I've seen a lot of those places flame out in a few years. And so I think there's something to be said for for enduring over a long time. And I think um, there needs to be a rekindling of that sense of pride in the local church that has been there for a long time and not consistently looking outward to say, well, what are other people doing? Why should we, why shouldn't we do what they're doing? But simply that endurance of week after week after week of ministry is something to be proud of. Okay. Angela, we have literally one minute left. So why do you think knowing about the effects of white Christian nationalism is relevant in today's world? Because at the root of a lot of anger and violence and you know particularly for parents who are listening and i'm the parent of boys um we need to be aware of what influences people are hearing that leads to violence okay we will come back and we'll wrap things up so please stay tuned this is roi on kala st ambrose university 106.1 fm you're listening to relevant or irrelevant This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 487th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song written for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guests, Angela Denker, 
Lutheran pastor and veteran journalist who talked to us about Red State Christians, a journey into white Christian nationalism and the wreckage it leaves behind. Uh, the History Buffs for today's show were Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.